Hello and welcome to this download from Faber and Faber. My name is George Miller and my guest today is Adam Creed. Adam's new novel, Suffer the Children, introduces us to the London of D.I. Will Wagstaff, known to all as Staff. His first case is a grisly one, investigating a series of brutal attacks on suspected paedophiles. Adam, who used to work in the city and now combines writing with working with offenders in prison, told me about creating his detective hero. I mean, I really wanted a character who, who I could get to the bottom of, and I wanted a character whose, whose motives bore explanation, uh, and he had a certain depth. I often think when I'm reading crime that protagonists are asked to do such extraordinary things that you really, the reader deserves to know where, where the protagonist gets, gets that sort of moral certitude and that inner strength from. I had this idea that I wanted him to be financially independent. I didn't want him to have to go to work if he really didn't want to. If he had a moral dilemma which he felt he couldn't overcome, then he could walk away. And this sort of redoubles his commitment to the notion of justice and law and his, his own personal sense of what is right and how that blends with the requirements, the statutory requirements of the law. And that's, that's quite an unusual attribute in the crime genre, isn't it? Because often you've got, you've got coppers who are down to their last fiver and so on. So to have that sort of independence already sort of sets them apart. Yes. And also, I, I wanted a character who was quite, I, I don't know, I don't really want to use the word sort of chic, uh, but in, in a way that, it, you know, he d- some, some, um, some British crime heroes drink log from tins and, and have takeaway food and are overweight and have barren love lives. I wanted Staff to have all those things that those people lack. I wanted him to be not quite a James Bond figure, but he's he's very well educated. He has an interest in antiques. He likes fine wine. He drinks single blend malt whiskies. He he has an array of girlfriends who we meet variously as, as the series progresses. But everything he does stems from this sort of moral imperative which came from his his late teens when his mother and father were killed by, by Basque terrorists on a trip they made to Bilbao when, when Staff had just gone off to university. And that knocked him for six, and he went on the rail, off the rails for a while. He eventually found, found a way of making sense of their loss by his relationship with the law. He joined the police force, and he had several mentors whom we meet as the series progresses. That's, that sets him his goals, really, as a policeman. But there's still a very strong sense of that being unresolved business, isn't there? Yes, I mean, we're obviously telling each story as we go along. It's early in the series. But there is this sense that everything staff learns from the challenges which are, are presented to him in the books in the series will culminate in him gathering a, a sense of justice, a sense of resolve, and a sense of perspective that will inform his response when he finally brings the murderer of his of his parents to, to justice. And even as we speak, I don't know whether he will exact vengeance or whether he will find it in his heart to forgive the man. And this is this is the grand sort of challenge that sort of faces staff and one that he lives with day to day and one which colours the way in which he sees uh, the crimes that we see him and, uh, facing. Yeah, I mean, vengeance and retribution are very much themes of this book. Maybe you can say a bit about what the nature of the case that he encounters is. A suspected but unconvicted paedophile is murdered early in the book. Within a a couple of chapters, there's another attack, quite a grisly attack, on a similar similar person from a completely different social class. 
uh, but again a suspected paedophile, unconvicted. And staff strains to make a connection between between the two cases. They're geographically distinct. In socioeconomic terms, they're distinct. So we have we have two paedophiles being assaulted and one of them killed. And then we have the the wake of those characters' actions, which is backstory. And and staff looks looks into who who those crimes were perpetrated against. And he sees there's there's a there's a sort of backwater of unsolved cases against children in which the uh, the alleged perpetrators in those instances were brutally killed and and staff goes back into the past to try and piece together what person might be behind this series of killings and assaults and as he goes back in time it takes him back to a time at which he was uh, working with his mentor uh, a di jessup who appears to be involved in a way that staff might feel uncomfortable with and as you say the murder and the attempted murder are grisly and they've got a quasi-ritualistic element to them mm. in the way they're presented and yes. there's a very sort of conscious presenting of the results of these crimes yes. to the police isn't there? I find myself in a very difficult position because I do a lot of work with offenders and ex-offenders and and I know hopefully as a humane being that one cannot castrate or execute or incarcerate these people for all their born days there has to be a way of, of overcoming the, the the problems faced by these people we have to believe that there is a way beyond the unthinkable as a means of, of handling such crimes. But on the other hand, as a, as a father, uh, and as a father of daughters, when one hears about such cases, the sap rises and the blood boils, and you have a completely different imaginary response to what might happen, God forbid, should such a thing happen to you as a parent. And the ritualistic element comes from allowing myself to indulge a fantasy as to what what you might do to somehow even things up in your own mind as a parent who has seen their children harmed and defiled in such a way. The unhappiness of those two trains of, of, of thought and emotion is what riddles the book and is what tortures staff in this, in this story. And he has to overcome that uh, before deciding which trammels of law and justice he, he goes down. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about writing about violence, and how do you how do you approach it? What kind of frame of mind are you in when you when you are about to write one of these quite gruesome scenes? I think it's entirely about character and the depth with which you can empathise and understand and articulate where your character is coming from, and you I think you have to go very deep into what makes people do the terrible things that they do. And crime novels are populated by terrible terrible actions and I don't think we always understand what it takes to bring somebody to do such a terrible thing and I hope that one of the things that might distinguish uh, not distinguish my book but put my book in good company is that I don't take violence lightly I think it takes a hell of a lot to to take another human life and I think before you you take a life in a in a, in a work of fiction you have to you have to absolutely put the reader in a position whereby they understand and can empathise with what would bring a character to do such a thing. You're clearly interested in the consequences of crime. I mean, these the, the, the paedophiles' crimes have affected the lives not only of children, but of parents and there are broken relationships and all sorts of consequences that you, you trace throughout the book. Yes, I mean, this um, sort of repercussive effects of one bad act creates many, many other bad acts. 
which creates an energy for, for the narrative to, to go forward. But it's also interesting to work back from, rather than look at the consequences of these violent acts, it's also the causes of violent acts. And I think the, the causes and the consequences are, are often linked. And the, there is this well-documented sort of cycle of abuse that somebody who has been exploited in such a way is likely to visit those exploitations on other people as a means of rationalising how they can get through life. Our job as writers, and it's what will interest readers, is to, is to get to the bottom of what makes supposedly bad people do terrible things. So it's a question of sort of immersing myself in those minds and having a, a glass of wine before I come out and face the world again, I guess. You talked about mentors, and Staff is a character who, as you say, lost his father when he was young. And I suppose it's maybe not too Freudian and fanciful to think, you know, he's he's been looking for some kind of father figures or some kind of guidance to guide him through the, the dilemmas of his life. And, and one of those is, is Jessup, who's a key character in the book. Yeah. Um, Staff is... Um, he, He's a very popular man. He has he has a sister, he has a nephew, he has friends and he has colleagues who respect him. But he's essentially quite a lonely man. His values are sort of bespoke to him. He hasn't, he hasn't inherited a set of values from his father. They were quite distant at the time his, his father died. Uh, so the way staff sees the world is, is kind of constructed by him in a kind of isolation. And we'll get to understand that more as as the series develops, I guess. I'm trying to explore the nature of his relationship with his parents as the series progresses, and that will further colour the nature of his relationship with, with his mentors, one of whom is no longer in, in the country. I don't, can't say too much about that because it involves divulging the plot of the first book. But needless to say, this, uh, this cast of, of mentors will reappear and, and further shape the way in which Steph fashions his career and his personal life and and the attainment of his of his goals as the series progresses now you said you said he's he's a man of independent means he doesn't have to work if he doesn't want to he's got property around london mm -hmm. and he also runs he's a runner and so london the point you know points of the compass of london are part of the, the story really i mean tell me how you evoked london what kind of view of london you wanted to kind of emerge from the, the these books i lived in london for uh for 15 years and i no longer do and and i have a an unsated love affair with, with London. In my study at home, I look out at grass and trees and sheep, but the, right, the writing of these books can transport me back to, to this city, which I'm, I'm not from, but w which I fell in love with as a young man. And as a result of that, I guess, it's, it's kind of, I kind of cherry-pick London, as, as writers retain the right to do. And it's, it's, not, it's a realistic, but also quite an impressionistic version of London, with a, a, a juxtaposing of of the glitz and the decadence of London. I like to bring those two, two aspects of the city together in a way that when I used to work in the city for my sins and on slack afternoons rather than um, go down to uh, Corney and Barrow, I'd get the bus up to, up to Dalston Market and, and drink overproof rum in the West Indian <laughs> pubs and watch the guys play dominoes and, and wander through the market looking at the goats' heads and all the vegetables I didn't quite understand. And I've always had that sort of, that notion that you're only ever a five minute walk from one London to the other. And I, ho I hope you get a sense of, of that in the books because I think a, a good story is all about the coming together of, of, of things that aren't particularly reconcilable. And I think London has that in spades. You read on the website, the opening of the book, and 
is an unsecure conviction, isn't it? It's a conviction mm. which the police have obtained by illegitimate means. And that sort of sets the tone really about ends and means which runs through the whole book. Yes, I mean, Staff has this relationship with his, his chief inspector, Pennington, which, which we're, we're struggling to get to the bottom of. We don't, Pennington's a little bit of a shapeshifter. He patently respects Staff as, as a policeman. He doesn't quite trust Staff's motives. Pennington's a career man, Staff isn't. And it's not until later in the series that we quite get to the bottom of where Pennington's relationship with the law comes from. But the, the sort of clash between the way Staff sees himself within the force and Pennington sees himself within the force does raise this issue as to what, what, what is the best way to serve, to serve the nation in, in enforcing the law. And if, if you know that somebody is guilty and the evidence isn't quite there, but you can put them away anyway by slightly tampering with procedure, then is that for the greater good? Or do you have to absolutely respect the evidence and trust the law to do right? And Staff's view would be that you cannot play God. You know, if you're involved in the law, you have to, you have to implement law at every single stage and trust the machine. 